Blog Talk Radio. What's going on, Gecko Nation Radio fans? Uh, tuning in. I hope you're going to enjoy. we got a, an episode tonight. We'll be talking to Matt Baronic of Sasselback Reptiles. Going to talk about where he's been, where he's heading, uh, kind of how he got started off in the hobby and uh, and where it's taken him along his long journey. Um, hope uh, hope you guys enjoy. I want to uh, thank Dave of uh, David's Fine Geckos for passing the show along to me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still working on uh, a lot of kinks. I hope you guys uh, bear with me as I figure out, you know, blog talk radio and, and how to do everything. Um, I, uh, unfortunately, I've been really, really busy lately, so haven't really had too much time to uh, research and, and check out uh, how to do some, some different stuff. But, um Matt will be on with us in, in just a minute, so I just wanted to uh, keep you guys posted on that stuff. This weekend is the White Plains Reptile Expo, so I hope uh, if anybody's there, you stop by. Um, I will not be there for the first couple hours of the show. I have some other engagements, but uh, but I'll definitely be getting there around maybe noon. Um, I'm at Dave's old table, if you know where that was. Uh, that's where, where I'll have my stuff. And uh, hope you uh, come check it out. I'm going to bring Matt on now. Matt, what's going on? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Tim. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Um, Looking forward to uh, getting some updates on on where you've been and and where you're heading and everything that's going on with you. So, uh, why don't you uh, start off and, and talk a little bit about how you got started in the in the reptile hobby? Um, it's actually been uh, quite a long story um, that uh, started out uh, with me getting a fascination for fish. Um, I always uh, joke with people that it started off with a betta, and um, from there it grew into me wanting to get a fish tank. Um, that grew into me you know, wanting to breed African cichlids. Um, so my room as a, um, you know, a teenager was filled with fish tanks and different types of African cichlids and I was breeding them and, um, started to get uh, pretty friendly with the people at the uh, local pet store and was in there all the time. And, um, whenever I was about 15, they asked if, um, you know, if I just wanted to work there, they just made a joke about, you know, me working there. And I followed up with them and ended up getting a job with, with them. Um, and was, uh, I think I started there whenever I was like right around, right whenever I turned 16, I think. And, uh, that was my first job was working at the local pet store. And where, where was that, Matt? Um, that was actually in, uh, Dubois, Pennsylvania. Um, it's a small town. I'm sure all of you have heard of, uh, you know, Punxsutawney Phil and the Groundhog. It's actually the, um, uh, the town north of there. It's in central Pennsylvania, in the middle of nowhere. It was just, uh, a ma and pa pet store that was in a mall, actually. Cool, cool. And, uh, and so 
from there? I'm sure you started working with the reptiles in the in the store. Yes, actually, uh, that's where the the whole reptile thing comes into play. Um, is basically there was no one at the store that really knew anything about reptiles, and we would get a you know some in at that point. Um, that was back in the day where um, you could get a lot more things. Actually, um, I remember whenever I worked there. Um, we could get in monkey tail skinks and stuff like that, which today, like, you can't even find. And, you know, they would only be about $100. Um, and I actually remember we used to get orders in from Strictly Reptiles um, out of Florida. And I think that was back in their heyday whenever everything was just really beginning to start to grow at that point. Um, and, like I said, that's where I started to, you know, get a fascination for reptiles. And it basically started because nobody else really dealt with them. And I kind of felt bad for them. I felt like they weren't getting the attention that like the rest of the, you know, the animals in the store were getting. Um, so I was kind of drawn to them for some reason. And um, that's where I started to get, you know, a few reptiles of my own. Um, got like a bearded dragon, a couple of leopard geckos, um, I think I had a frilled lizard or a frilled dragon whenever I was uh, younger as well. And, uh, you know, just started to have a small collection in my home at that point. That's cool. And that was, that was back in the, in the price list days um, for the, for the store. Would you, would they actually let you place orders and would you be going through the price list and figuring out what might work well in, in the store? Um, I wasn't really responsible for, you know, making, um, the decisions, but I definitely, uh, would look at the price list quite often and, you know, ask if we could get this in or ask if we can get that in. And, um, definitely back then it was kind of like a trial and error thing as well on what's going to sell, what isn't, because back then there really wasn't like, you know, a popular, you know, reptile. Um, you know, this was back in literally like the late uh, 90s, early 2000s. Um, so that was just whenever, um, I, I mean, even, even leopard geckos, I think the, I remember working at the pet store and reptiles magazine we used to carry. And, you know, the biggest thing on the front cover of the one episode was like the blizzard lizard, you know what I mean? The, you know, the first blizzards were being introduced. So back then there really wasn't even any of the mutations like we have today. Um, and I, I, I want to say even like one of the reptile magazines, like the, you know, the biggest thing for ball pythons was the pied ball python. Um, so there, there wasn't even the ball python craze at that point. Um, so it was literally just a bunch of, you know, wild caught animals, um, that were on the price list and, you know, half the stuff, like nobody probably even really knew how to take care of at that point. The uh, the descriptions were always fun to read. I still have, I still have a stack of old uh, price lists from from back around that time, and maybe a few years earlier. And I, I need to I need to go through and scan them and, and post them up somewhere so that uh, people can get an idea of uh, more of an idea of what we're talking about for the for the newer people in the hobby. And and uh, it was it was really cool to to just read those descriptions and. You know, it wasn't like now where you could just go online and, and Google, you know, the species name and, and see a million pictures of of what it is. You really had to, you know, go by the, the description and, you know, for the for the different gecko species, it would, you know, say, 
you know, some basic stuff, like whether it was from, you know, a rainforest, a tropical area, or, or a desert area, and, you know, the, it might have the size that, you know, maybe it got up, the particular gecko got up to six or seven inches or whatever, and, and that's kind of all you, you had to go by. So it was really exciting, you know, to, uh, to see that stuff. Yes, absolutely. It was it was definitely an interesting time in the reptile hobby that most people will ever, you know, most people would never even know it actually existed. Yeah, because it's completely different now. You know, you can you can go in five minutes and order any husbandry needs. You know that most reptiles have. You know, order it from a supplier and get it shipped to your house in one or two days. And back yep. then there was no husbandry equipment, you know? I mean, there was, but there wasn't nearly as much as there is now, and it was really basic stuff, you know? It was a lot of of 10-gallon fish tanks with a a heat lamp, and and that was basically what every reptile started out with, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's that's all we had. Um, I don't even think there was such thing as heat pads, really, at that point, let alone, like, flex water or anything like that. Um, at least we didn't carry it. Um, and yeah, it was like, you're saying it was just like a lot of dome lights and, um, very primitive, uh, you know, it was 10 gallon tanks and screen lids. Uh, there was really no such thing as like exoterra tanks or, you know, anything like that, that, um, you know, makes our life so much easier now. Yeah, no, no, uh, commercially available. I, I guess there probably were a few you really had to hunt for them and they weren't really widely known the commercially available uh, rack systems and, and reptile caging systems. Um, everything was kind of, uh, you know, build your own and, and modify what you can. Uh, so it was really cool. So, uh, so from there, you know, kind of when, when did you start breeding or, or when did you even think about starting to breed stuff? Um, well, <laughs> I've always wanted to breed things, Um, and it actually started, I would say, actually, well, I was, like, 18, 19, um, whenever I was still working at the pet store. I I actually ended up, um, because living in Pennsylvania and, you know, being associated with the pet store that I was, um, we actually lived probably about three to four hours away from uh, the Dachus, which are, you know, huge bearded dragon breeders. And we actually could go there and handpick our bearded dragons. Um, And this was before they even got super huge. Um, And it was, it was so amazing to go to their facility, um, you know, back in 2000, whenever basically like everything was so primitive. And I remember, um, you know, at at his place, like, they literally built everything themselves. Like, because, like we were talking about earlier, there was no, you know, place that you could buy, you know, rack systems or, and and if there was, like, nobody really knew about it because, you know, the internet was still kind of primitive in that aspect as well. Um, So there was no way to, you know, even get your name out there if you really wanted to. And, um, you know, going to, you know, that place and being able to pick out, like, which bearded dragons, like, that was actually a step more advanced than, you know, the price list of, you know, the olden days. 
Um, so that was also very, very cool where I could go with, you know, the manager of my pet store and literally go hand pick bearded dragons and pick really, really nice ones. I mean, this was back before there really was even a whole lot of shows to even go to, to pick anything out. Um, and you know, that was definitely a unique and experience at that point was to be able to go handpick the animals that you wanted. And I actually started uh, collecting uh, a small, you know, group of bearded dragons. I probably had, I want to say maybe like 15 um, back then. And at that point, that was, that was a lot, you know, like that wasn't, uh, you know, for, for a single person, like that was, you know, pretty big. Um, as far as, you know, where I was in my life at that point. I mean, I had just graduated high school, and um, to me, that was like a super huge collection. Um, but uh, unfortunately, my mother um, really didn't like having all of those animals in the house, and, you know, eventually uh, it got to the point where it was uh, me staying there or, you know, or it, was, it was basically me staying there, or if I wanted to keep my animals, I had to go. Um, so I ended up moving out whenever I was 19 and took my animals with me. And, um, that was definitely an interesting point in my life where, um, you know, I, I had that dream where I wanted to be able to breed reptiles for a living. Um, but was way too inexperienced at that point to be able to make it work. And, uh, honestly, the, the market really wasn't even there yet. Like it was almost like I was a few years ahead of what could actually be done. And um, it ended up that, you know, I was 20 years old and um, at that point, like uh, um, wanted to get into having fun with my friends and girls and, you know, uh, (laughs) drinking and all that fun stuff. And um, (laughs) so, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't put as much effort into it as like I really wanted to at that point. Um, and then I think there were a lot it of was, other distractions, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of other distractions and I wasn't uh, mature enough yet to pursue what I really, really wanted to do in life. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, um, and I ended up going into the military whenever I was 22 Um, At that point, like, obviously, I had to sell off my whole collection. And it it was basically an opportunity for me to to grow up and to get out in the real world, get out of the small town that I was in, and, you know, literally expand my horizons, if you will. Um, And uh, went into the U.S. Army. Um, I was active duty for four years. I was actually a veterinary technician for the Army, which basically meant that uh, I worked um, in a vet clinic for the Army. Uh, Our main responsibilities were to um, give service to military working dogs, make sure that they were healthy, and also do, um, you know, zoonotic prevention um, as far as, like, rabies bites and stuff like that. Um, We were responsible for if there was a bite to... A military service member or, um, you know, in, on the, uh, the installation itself, we would have to make sure the animal was quarantined for X amount of days and make sure that like the, the, uh, animal wasn't, you know, positive for rabies or, and all that other stuff. Um, and then also what we did was offered, uh, low 
cost uh, vaccine clinics for military members and retirees so that they could get like a rabies vaccine for like seven bucks, which is, you know, like unheard of in the veterinary, you know, civilian world where it's, you know, probably you go in for a rabies vaccine, you come out $150 lighter after the, uh, after the visit. Um, yeah. But uh, that was definitely, yeah, you know, that was uh, definitely a cool experience uh, being in the, in the military. Um, definitely taught me a lot. Um, definitely got me to grow up really fast. And, you know, definitely, you know, this is, uh, you know, from your job that you are, a, you know, a firefighter, that uh, there's definitely that camaraderie that you get um, with being part of something bigger like that, that uh, is something that you never really forget. You know what I mean? And uh, I I definitely enjoyed, yeah, I definitely enjoyed my time in the military. And, um, you know, the, the main reason that I got out was to pursue the, uh, the leopard gecko thing, um, which actually started while I was in the military. Um, I wanted to get, um, you know, a, uh, get a pet for my dorm room basically. And it, you know, went to the local pet co and, you know, got, uh, two leopard geckos that of course, like I put on sand, like everybody else does and probably didn't have the optimal conditions for them by any stretch of the imagination, but it literally got me started into, you know, wanting to know more about them and, uh, you know, started looking into some of the more exotic morphs, if you will, at the time. Um, and that's actually when um, I ran into Alberto Catalini uh, from A&M Gecko. Uh, I was actually stationed in Connecticut, and he was living in New York City um, and ended up starting to buy animals off of him. And, you know, he was the, the cream of the crop at, at that point and had some really awesome-looking animals. And um, that's what I wanted to do is produce awesome-looking animals and, you know, would – you know, spend a lot of my paycheck on animals from him and uh, would go handpick stuff. And uh, because he was only about two and a half hours away and he would bend the White Plains show, um, which uh, Tim and I definitely attend very regu- regularly. Um, and uh, Do you remember it, Do you remember how you found him? Did you, did you find him at the White Plains show or did you find him in the Reptile Magazine uh, Classifieds? Um, actually, I found him online. Um, this is uh, right whenever uh, starting to sell animals online was starting to get big. I mean, this was probably 2005 is whenever I first met Alberto. And um, But I did go to the shows to, like, uh, I, I saw that he was local and was able to go to shows that he was attending to, you know, go um, visit and handpick the animals. I was one of those crazy people that was there like an hour before the doors opened just to get in line and rush to his table to handpick the best one that I could. Um, and the interesting part about Alberto, which um, I found out later is how he got his start was literally um, it, like we were talking about priceless before he would actually buy animals off of Ron Tremper off of the price list um, you know, get, you know, a 10 lot or a 20 lot in and then, you know, hand select the ones that he wanted to keep and then take the other ones to the show and sell them. And, um, he also would, uh, he was one of the first innovators of 
you know, actually taking individual pictures of the animals and putting them up online. And, um, you know, he, he kind of, you know, brought that to the forefront um, because, uh, you know, at the beginning he was actually using um, a lot of Ron's animals and just selling them individually and then handpicking the ones that he wanted to breed for the following seasons from the, you know, kind of like the wholesale lots that, you know, he was getting from Ron. And that's pretty, know, then eventually, that's pretty cool. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's actually how he got to have such a nice collection right off the bat was, you know, basically handpicking the ones that he wanted um, and then selectively breeding from, from that point forward. Um, and then, you know, for, he only had to do that for probably, I would say only about a year or two he did that. And then he was producing enough of his own amazing animals that like he just didn't have to do that anymore. And that uh, at the time was definitely innovative because, um, you know, basically it was, um, you know, buying a wholesale lot and, you know, handpicking what you wanted and, you know, selling off the rest. Um, and then just how he was selling them um, was, was innovative in itself where, you know, taking individual pictures of the animals for people to actually see and buy that individual animal back then was, I mean, nobody had thought of that yet. Um, it was like you were saying, like everybody just had price lists and you couldn't even see the animal before you actually purchased it. And, um, you know, so the gecko community can actually thank Alberto for, you know, having that uh, insight to have individual pictures of animals that, like everybody does today, um, which is pretty cool. And and probably right at the same time, the, the technology was coming along where, where, you know, digital cameras were not crazy expensive and would take decent pictures. And the more and more people at that time were getting on the Internet, whereas, you know, maybe just a few years before that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as common and, and obviously now everybody is connected, but it, it was a much, much different time. So, so from there, did you kind of purposely, you know, kind of start heading towards, towards that kind of, uh, I don't want to say business model, but just kind of, uh, heading that way in terms of, you know, starting to take pictures and, and post stuff online. Um, actually, no. Um, what happened first was I was buying all these animals off of Alberto, um, and we became really good friends. I mean, we would talk on the phone all the time about, you know, leopard geckos and genetics and all that stuff. And, um, basically what really got the ball started with us, you know, collaborating together was, um, in 2006, uh, I actually had a house fire and um, basically lost my entire collection um, because of, you know, not uh, – it, it was basically an electrical fire because I didn't have the, the proper equipment. And, um, you know, that was definitely the turning point where it was either, you know, do this or, you know, stop. And uh, – uh, Alberta was amazing. Um, 15 animals actually survived the initial fire. Um, and I mean, they were, they looked bad. Um, they were basically, they looked black 
from the smoke, um, and it, it, it was a very, very sad situation. Um, I ended up losing a few more of those animals um, just from the, you know, the smoke inhalation and stuff like that, um, and I didn't have a place to put them. Um, and Alberto, being the amazing guy that he is, um, he actually took the animals that survived the fire and nursed them back to health for me while I was getting everything else taken care of um, with all my personal goods and stuff like that. Um, and uh, probably about a month or so later, um, I think we had like four animals, four or five animals actually survived the whole fire and were able to make a full recovery. Um, and after that um, is when, you know, I, I talked to him about like, you know, what the next step was going to be and what I wanted to do. And at that point, um, Alberto was actually, um, you know, selling a lot of animals and he needed somebody to help produce more animals for him so that we could sell. And that's whenever uh, we became business partners. Um, The initial agreement was for me to buy the racks and, you know, the place to put them, and he would supply me the animals that uh, I could use for breeding. And um, basically, that's kind of how the, even the marble eye even, you know, became discovered, is because um, basically, after the fire, once I got all set up, he was having a really good year and um, had a lot of extra animals, that he just wanted me to raise up. And um, I was actually raising a lot of those animals up and, you know, just going through the daily cleaning and feeding. Uh, A couple of them looked really, really odd. And um, that's whenever I actually found um, the marble eyes. And the funny part is, is the, the animals were actually for sale at a White Plains show and were never bought. And it just so happened that um, they didn't sell. Um, and because, you know, Al- Alberto just was selling them as sun glows because of that's what the genetics were. Like, um, he didn't even notice the eye pigmentation cause they were a little bit smaller. And, um, and at that point, really the, the Raptor was, you know, the just beginning to come out. So he didn't think that he had any, you know, eye pigmentation trait or even to look for that kind of thing in an animal. Um, so it, it was actually just a little bit of luck that they weren't sold. Um, and, uh, while I was taking care of them, I think it was, I think it was in July is whenever I got that batch of animals to raise up and they were actually being raised for the Daytona show. So within that one month period, that's whenever I found, you know, the animals that were a little bit different. Um, I snapped a couple pictures of them, sent them to Alberto and was like, Hey, did, did you ever see this or notice this? And, you know, he was like, no, um, that looks really cool. Um, maybe we should hold those back and see, you know, what kind of potential thing it is. Um, and basically he let me have that project and, you know, work on that project on my own. And that's whenever, um, you know, we really started to, to collaborate with things, um, and uh, basically, that's the the beginning of when I became a leopard gecko breeder. That's pretty cool. I had no idea that's uh, that's how far back the the Marble Eye project goes. 
Yeah, it's uh, it was actually, I think I worked on it for probably close to four years before I actually sold anything. And um, it was kind of, we, we kind of put pictures out there, but we didn't, you know, kind of uh, make it a big deal until we actually knew what was going on genetically with them. Because at that point, we didn't even know that it was genetic. And uh, we had to, you know, we, we actually didn't even have a male. Um, the only male that we had was the one that we thought was the dad. And um, it turns out that, uh, you know, whenever we bred the, that male back to his daughters, they, it, for some reason, it didn't, uh, we didn't produce any marbleized. We produced hets. And then from there, we took one of those babies, bred it back to the marble eye females. And then that's whenever we started seeing the marble eye again. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting how um, it, it was either that that wasn't the exact male or um, it was just a spontaneous mutation that just happened in, a, in three females. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And so kind of was, was that anywhere near the time when you kind of started posting stuff up on, on YouTube or is that still uh, pre, no, that's, uh, pre-YouTube days? That, that, that's still pre-YouTube days. Um, basically what had happened, this was uh, 2006-ish whenever we found the Marble Eye and stuff like that. Uh, 2007 was my first year actually breeding animals um, on a larger scale. And um, that's the year that I got out of the military. I moved uh, everything back from Connecticut to Pennsylvania. And whenever I really started working on, um, you know, producing my own animals. Um, At that point, I really didn't do any of the advertising or anything like that because it was still all kind of under Alberto, basically. Um, And... Uh, moved back to Pennsylvania. Um, whenever I moved back to Pennsylvania, that was like the summer of 2007. And that was right whenever um, the Enigma started to get released. And, um, you know, I had made a couple of friends um, because back in 2007, the only real way that anybody communicated, this was pretty much pre-Facebook days even, um, was through geckoforums.net. And that's where anybody that was anybody was on there. And that's where all the pictures were posted of new things. And um, that's where, um, you know, the the big people in the leopard gecko hobby uh, basically went to post new animals and what they were working on and stuff like that. Um, from there is whenever uh, I got in you know, got to know uh, a guy named by the name of uh, Mike Rakowski. Uh, he's actually still breeding leopard geckos in Florida. Um, he is actually the one that I bought my first Enigmas off of. I actually got them at the Daytona show in 2007. Um, I bought two of them off of him. Um, uh, actually, I, I did a trade for them, I should say. It wasn't uh, I actually purchased them. Um, and I got an Enigma Het Raptor and a Max Snow Enigma that was Het for Tremper. Um, and they were both males. Um, and that's 
the animals that I really started to use for the 2008 season um, that actually produced me the, uh, you know, the first, uh, the world's first dream sickle, the Nova, the black hole, all that stuff. Um, so basically by doing a, you know, a very selective trade and having females already held back for the project that I wanted to do, um, is how I was able to very quickly, um, produce something that nobody had ever seen before at that time. Um, and so it was, and then, you know, at that point I was still was kind of like a, you know, a no name in 2007. I was still working under Alberto. Um, he was still kind of my mentor. I was kind of like the, uh, um, you know, his sidekick, if you will. And, uh, that's whenever, you know, things really started to, um, click that, like, you know, I was a, a standalone, um, gecko breeder at that point. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the 2008 season was, uh, probably the season that really, you know, put me um, at the forefront of what was being produced at that point um, with the uh, with the pro- with the production of like the Dream Sickle, the Nova, the Black Hole, and the the weird part about it was that um, you know all that stuff came out of the same breeding, and they literally were hatching like every two weeks was a brand new genetic combination that nobody's ever seen before. Um, so obviously that made a few people pretty angry that like, they were like, you know, who the hell is this guy that, uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and is producing, you know, animals that nobody's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that caused a little bit of, uh, you know, drama, if you will, right off the bat. So I got very, uh, very used to that kind of thing right off the bat whenever um, that stuff started to happen, Um, you know, because with with anything, um, any sort of success, you're going to definitely have the two types of people that are going to either praise you for what you did or really cut you down for what you did um, because of, you know, jealousy or whatever. So, um, you know, it was, that was definitely my first exposure to it. And, uh, it was, it was definitely eye opening. let's put it that way. And, uh, but that's, that's definitely whenever, you know, the, the, the craziness kind of started with, uh, the new genetic mutations and, and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, 2008, I actually moved, um, to New York city, um, to live with Alberto. Um, cause you know, I was just, uh, kind of in a lost spot in my life and, you know, wanted to move to the big city to see, you know, see what I could see and, um, uh, moved in with Alberto for a year. Um, at that point, Alberto was definitely, uh, getting, uh, a very severe allergy to millworms. So we were actually collaborating still at that point. And at that point it was, Alberto took over mainly the sales and the marketing and all that stuff. And I took over the, you know, daily breeding, cleaning, um, you know, putting the combinations together, stuff like that. And it, it was working out, you know, great. Um, and you know, that was probably the time where I learned the most, um, 
and really started to expand what I wanted to do and what direction I wanted to take things. And, um, you know, that's also whenever I started producing, uh, you know, a lot of brand new combinations uh, was that, you know, end of 2008, early 2009 season. And uh, I think that's whenever, you know, the, the first typhoon was produced, the, which, you know, it, that story is kind of funny too, because um, whenever I put together the combination for the typhoon, which is the, you know, eclipse rainwater, I also threw in the Max Snow and the Murphy's pattern list at the same time. So what I was trying to create was not just the eclipse rainwater. I was trying to create the super combination of, you know, Max No, Rainwater, Eclipse, and uh, Murphy's Patternless all in one animal. And, um, you know, I got extremely lucky. The gecko gods shined down on me, and actually the first um, typhoon was uh, Murphy's Patternless typhoon. And, you know, the, I think the pictures are still up today that if you go back and look, like whenever I introduced it, I actually didn't even show the whole body because I didn't want people to see that, like, I skipped an extra step and, you know, threw in another mutation um, before the actual, you know, typhoon was actually produced. Um, so that one was, you know, definitely one of those interesting things as well, where, um, you know, I actually skipped a step before um, producing the, the animal that everybody thought would be the, the first one. Wow, that's that's uh, pretty interesting. So you, you still you still kind of kept it under your hat there, and yeah, uh, yeah. So so kind of what was what was the next big thing after that? You know what what and and actually where where in New York City were you were you living? I didn't even realize that Alberto um, lived in the city. Yeah, actually Alberto lives in he still lives in the same house today. Uh, he lives in Queens, um, right in Whitestone. Um, the the gecko room now has a bunch of frogs in it instead um, because he's uh, actually breeding thumbnail frogs um, and you know of the of the time of this recording um, he is actually the only one that can get thumbnail frogs out of out of Colombia legally um, so some of the frogs that he works with um, are the only legal um, thumbnail frogs. It, out of Colombia in the world. Um, and, you know, his, his collection's just amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's like a little rainforest uh, where we used to have the geckos. Um, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And uh, he actually has, uh, you know, true Al- Alberto form. He's got um, the only albino in the world of one of the species of thumbnail frogs that he works with. Wow. Um, and you said you lived you lived with him in Whitestone there in 2008. Yeah, 2000. The uh, like September 2008 to about May of 2009. Um, while I was living in New York City, uh, you know the the whole fairy tale thing that happens. Uh, met a girl, and um, you know we started dating. Uh, we decided to move back to Pennsylvania, um, and you know start our life there. Uh, she wanted to get out of the city, and I was more than happy to go back to, um, you know, back to my home, if you will. 
and uh, seeing that, you know, I now had the, the girl and um, we ended up buying a house and moving back to Pennsylvania in 2009. And um, while I was still in New York City is when the, the YouTube thing actually started. Um, and it, it kind of started from uh, watching Brian Barczyk from Snake Bites, basically. Um, I saw what he started doing with snakes, and I was like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. What if, like, people wanted to watch, like, what a leopard gecko breeder does? And I was like, I have nothing else going on all day, so, you know, why not film me, you know, clean and poop? Um, so a lot of the first videos um, are actually uh, filmed in New York City. Uh, or not New York City, in Queens, um, in Alberto's basement. And uh, those were the, the days of the, uh, the, the camera that made the clicking sound. Um, and uh, the, the clicking was actually like the, the, the autofocus. You could actually hear it because it was, it was actually like a, just a digital camera that had a, a video feature. And um, unfortunately, like it was one of those older ones that like you could actually hear the, the, you know, the, the gears, if you will, of the autofocus coming in and out of focus. Um, so those were the, uh, the, the, uh, the first days, if you will, of uh, the YouTube stuff. Um, and, you know, there, there was a pretty good uh, um, reception to the people that were watching them. And, you know, I just kept it up. And uh, I think actually a couple of the videos, you can see the transition from whenever I was moving from New York City to um, – to the house in Pennsylvania that I lived in. And basically from there, um, you know, moving back to Pennsylvania, um, uh, basically I was doing more of the YouTube videos. Um, you know, things started to, um, you know, progress um, as far as the business goes. Um, and, uh, you know, it basically came to a point where I would, you know, I asked Alberto if I could just buy him out. Um, and, you know, he, he was more than happy to do it. Like he, he saw, you know, how, how well I was doing and, um, and that like, basically it was, it was all me at that point. And, uh, he agreed to sell his half of the business to me and I bought it from him. And, uh, and that's whenever it, uh, became solely mine. Um, and then I started to invest, uh, you know, even more time into it. And, uh, that's, um, I don't even remember when Facebook really came about. I, I want to say it was like 2010 is probably whenever, um, I actually made the, the Sasobek page on Facebook and it really started from, I wanted to keep the personal life and the, and the gecko side separate because, you know, a lot of my friends, and I'm sure you're this way too, where like, uh, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of your friends are probably like, Oh, you like reptiles. That's kind of weird. And, you know, they don't want to see the, uh, you know, <laughs> the posting of geckos every single day. So, you know, to save my, to save my friends, the uh, aggravation of uh, seeing geckos posted every day. And, you know, at the same time, um, you know, showing the people that want to see my geckos, um, the geckos ever, you know, all the time. Um, I made the, the, the delineation to make, you know, the, 
the personal side stay personal and the, the business side stay business. And um, there was, there was definitely, I was probably one of the first people I would say that would show more of the, the, the personal side. Um, but it, it, it definitely wasn't everything. That's, that's for sure. Um, I, I, I guess you could say I was the first one to really show more of my personality than, than most of the other breeders at that point. Um, and, you know, like anything else that, uh, came with, you know, some people that really, really liked it and some people that really, really didn't. Um, but it was definitely that, that start of something that, that made it a little bit more unique. And again, I think that that's one of those things that, uh, was a little bit more ahead of its time as well, because, that was before the days of people vlogging and stuff like that. And now like that's, you know, one of the biggest things on YouTube is people vlogging and just kind of showing their daily life um, more than, you know, being a, like an educational thing. And um, like it was uh, that part of it was kind of a little bit ahead of its time, I guess the just showing the monotony of what like being an actual gecko breeder is. It's not just like, you know, producing cool stuff all the time. It's like literally you spend, you know, seven to eight hours a day cleaning poop um, the, to keep up with the, <laughs> you know, the amount of animals that you have. And, um, you know, like people got to see like, you know, I, I have an allergy to millworms now as well. That it's, it's one of those things you just accumulate over time. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's definitely to the point where I have to take allergy medicine. I have to... Um, you know, wear a painter's mask whenever I'm like unpacking the millworms. And um, yeah, it's uh, there, there was definitely times where it was really miserable to be a, a gecko breeder because of, um, because of the allergies. It was, uh, um, I remember like the, the one winter, I think I got pneumonia actually from, I, it, it, it it's right whenever my millworm allergies started to get bad and I didn't realize how bad they were. And yeah, like I was sick for probably a month because of um, probably ingested some millworm dust and um, it just swelled up in my lungs and <laughs> wasn't a good time. Let's put it that way. Wow. And, uh, and so when you moved to Pennsylvania, so you were basically full time doing the geckos at that point, right? Uh Actually, no, not at first. Um, whenever I first moved back, uh, the whole goal for me moving back was to go back to school. Um, and I had a job. So, and, you know, had a, I, I got married about a year after I moved back to Pennsylvania. Um, so there was, there was definitely a lot going on in my life right off the bat. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was going to school, I was working, I was dealing with the animals, I was trying to have a relationship. Um, and, uh, it, it just got to be too much. And, um, you know, I, I, I asked my wife at the time, I was like, Hey, uh, I'd really like to, you know, focus on, on the geckos. I think that it, it could be, you know, a business, but there, there's just not enough time in the day to do it. And, um, I, I made her a deal that, you know, if I made X amount of dollars to support our family, um, doing the geckos that I would continue to do it. And if I fell short of that, I would sell off everything and, 
and, you know, move on. And um, that's whenever I actually dropped out of school. Um, Well, I didn't drop out. I just, it's basically been postponed. Let's put it that way. Um, I would love to get my degree at some point. And for all you kids out there, stay in school. Um, But uh, I, you know, literally just wanted to see if the business model could work. And um, it did end up working. Um, and I was pretty successful, um, thanks to the, the, to the help of, uh, the gene called white and yellow. Um, you know, cause I was, you know, one of the first people to bring those into the U S and, um, I was able to, you know, capitalize on the, you know, genetics and, you know, make some new combinations that nobody's ever seen before with those. And, um, you know, I did really well. And, uh, and that's kind of was the, the turning point in the, in the personal life, um, where I was so wrapped up in, you know, trying to create my business and better my business that, um, I possibly could have, uh, you know, made my relationship a little bit worse because of it. Um, I was focused on, you know, growing something so that I could support my family, but I might've been neglecting my family at the same time. Um, and, you know, started to have some problems with uh, my marriage and, uh, she wanted to move back to Connecticut and I agreed to it. Um, you know, and got, uh, went to move everything back to Connecticut. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can remember this where, you know, I was, in the process of moving and it took probably about six months to get everything up here. Um, ended up moving them into a, like a warehouse facility basically. Um, and that's whenever the, the, the world took a little bit of a turn. Let's put it that way. And, and also just to back up a little bit, I, you know, you, you mentioned probably, uh, you know, you, you got you got some haters when uh, when you were getting popular on YouTube and, and doing the social media thing, but I think that was also a time that you certainly got a lot more uh, a lot more followers, uh, people that supported you, and people that were buying your animals and and paying attention to what you're doing um, with all your your YouTube videos and, and stuff like that along the way. So I think whether you whether you planned it or not, you certainly built a huge following at at that time, right? Yes, definitely. And it was, um, it, it was definitely interesting. Um, it, it wasn't something that really I thought was going to happen or anything like that. And, um, you know, it, it, it definitely was weird in, in certain aspects where, you know, you go to a show and people that you've never seen before come up to you and are like, Oh, Hey, like I watch you on YouTube all the time. And it's like, um, it, it's, it, it was, it was kind of weird in a way. Um, it was almost like, um, being popular in this, you know, kind of cult following type, uh, genre, <laughs> if you will. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely weird. Um, because, you know, none of my friends even knew what the hell I did, but then, you know, there's people from all over the world that knew who I was. Um, so and again, now, definitely really now, weird. 
again, now that happens at every single show, I'm sure, that, you know, somebody walks up to a vendor and says, oh, I watch your videos on YouTube. But, again, back then that was uh, that was just starting out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was um, it was pretty incredible to, um, you know, from the days of, like, gecko forums where, you know, uh, there, there were still a lot of people that could see you on there. It would be, like, a couple hundred. But it wasn't the thousands of people that you end up, like, touching with YouTube and Facebook, um, which it was definitely at the time whenever, you know, Facebook was actually perfect for me at that point as well because um, I don't know if any of you know the, the listeners out there actually know this, but at the time, that's whenever Facebook would show you everything that ev- that everybody was posting. So it wasn't like the algorithm that they have now where it's like literally 5% of whatever you're following actually shows up on your timeline it was back in the day whenever 100% of the stuff showed up on your timeline. So that's why it's like actually very, very hard to get that big of an audience now is because of the algorithm that Facebook has to try to, you know, make more money for Facebook by, you know, having you promote your, promote your page and all that stuff. Um, it's very Basically, they want, to, you to pay, they want you to pay for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, they basically want you to pay to become popular, um, if you will. And, uh, you know, that's that's the one thing that I can say about my Facebook page is that it was always 100% organic and I never had to spend any money to to get it. Um, but to be able to create that big of a, you know, that big of a, of a, of a likes right now would be almost impossible because of the way the algorithm set up um, you literally, if you have, you know, 300 followers, um, you know, that means only, you know, 15 people will actually ever see your content on their timeline, which is, you know, that's, that's, you could never, you could never grow at that point. You know what I mean? Um, so I was able to, you know, kind of capitalize on, you know, a few things at once that, you know, I, I didn't go to school for marketing or anything like that. It just was kind of right place, right time, you know, right things going on for things to basically, you know, escalate to what they were and how they are. Um, and, which, and combining that know, with, with the right animals that, that you were producing. Absolutely, yeah. So it was kind of like... Uh, you know, all the stars kind of aligned all at once to to create something that, you know, 10 years prior, that's what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? And that kind of goes back to that, you know, I always knew that I wanted to, you know, breed reptiles, but th- back then there just wasn't that opportunity. And it's almost like, you know, the rest of the world created the opportunity for something like this to actually happen. So, so you rode, you kind of rode that wave as a, as a, you know, as a figures. And uh, absolutely, and so tell us, you know, kind of, you know, what. So, so moving to Connecticut, you know, tell us kind of where that where that took you next. Um, that actually was um, that was probably the hardest thing that's 
ever really happened in my life, I would say. Um, you know, basically, you know, going from this high of highs where, you know, your business is doing great. Like uh, my son was born in 2001 um, or 2011, I should say, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, I had a family, I had a house, like uh, my business was doing well. And then it was like, you know, the legs just got cut out from underneath me. Um, and, you know, by no means do I want like, you know, people to feel bad or anything like that. That's not about, you know, what this, you know, episode should be about. It's, um, you know, it's basically, you know, there's, there's definitely going to be highs and lows in everybody's life. And it's all about how you, um, can deal with them is, is how you're going to be able to move on for the rest of your life. And, you know, basically what happened was, um, you know, I moved, uh, moved up here to Connecticut. It took me, took me six months to actually get up here. Um, it, uh, it, it was really hard because I needed to find a place to put the animals. Um, and, you know, I finally found a building, the building had to be renovated a little bit. Um, and then I had to move all the animals up here and I had to do it at a certain time of the year where, you know, the animals weren't breeding, um, all the eggs were hatched out, all of, you know, just to make it easier to move everything. And um, basically, uh, you know, after I got the building up here, got it renovated, then I had to move everything up here. I had to, you know, reset everything back up um, and then try to, you know, start breeding again for the next year. And this was, uh, 2000, the end of 2013, I think is whenever I moved up here, um, and got moved into my building. And, uh, two months later, my wife filed for divorce and, um, that started like a, you know, definitely a downhill spiral. I mean, it, it started before that whenever I was still living in Pennsylvania, my wife and my son were moved up here. And I was actually commuting back and forth. Um, it was four and a half hours one way um, where I would, you know, come up for, you know, three, four days and then have to go back and, you know, uh, work on the animals. And I did that for about six months. Um, I probably made over 20 trips back and forth um, just so that I could still be part of the family and still see my son and my wife at the time. And, um, that was rough. Um, that was a lot of time in the car. Um, and it was, it was really hard to go back home to Pennsylvania with, you know, they still had all their stuff there because the movers hadn't moved it yet. And, um, you know, still seeing pictures of my family on the wall. And, um, that's whenever I, I started to get depressed, um, was, you know, right then. Um, and then, you know, once I got up here and, you know, got filed or my ex-wife filed for divorce, um, it started to get worse. Um, and then, um, you know, I still was, you know, trying to hold on with the animals and, you know, getting everything working with the animals. Um, and then that first season in Connecticut, um, it was, uh, probably around March or April, uh, I was going through the divorce and, uh, 
started getting eggs. I probably had about 800 eggs in the incubator and I walk into my building one day and the guy had shut off the heat. Um, and it's one of those old buildings where, you know, the heat's either on or off. You can't really control it. Um, and the building dropped down to about 60 degrees and it killed all my eggs. Um, so it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, definitely a sickening feeling. Um, you know, because at that point I was, I was paying $2,000 a month for this building, um, rent just to, you know, have the animals in and, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, uh, really, really sucked to, you know, come into a building that cold at the beginning of the breeding season, um, that, you know, most of your eggs are toasted at that point. Um, and it also messed up the females because the, uh, you know, the, the room got cold as well. Um, so some of the females actually stopped laying eggs for the season. Um, so that was, that was definitely rough. And then, you know, I still salvaged, you know, to, you know, probably to hatch like two or 300 animals that year, which, you know, that's nothing compared to what I was doing. I was probably doing, um, somewhere between, I would, I would say around 1500 animals a year. And, um, you know, that's whenever it started to get really, really bad. Um, and I was like, you know, this is, this is going to be bad because at that point that was my only job up here as well. And, um, you know, that's whenever, you know, finances definitely started to get tight. And, uh, um, you know, I kind of struggled through it, um, still being pretty much depressed that whole year. Um, not really, uh, I mean, I was, uh, I started to get diagnosed with it as well. Um, started taking some medications and stuff like that. Um, which again, nobody really knew about any of that. Um, I tried to keep that as far away from the public eye as possible. Um, and then I was, you know, kind of hoping that, that, uh, you know, that second year, like, you know, things would turn around. I'd start to, you know, get some more babies and, uh, get things rocking and rolling again. And, um, you know, I had a talk with the, the landlord and I was like, listen, you can't do this to me about turning off the heat. Like you gotta let me know. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, the second year, um, things were going all right again and the air conditioning unit broke down and didn't, you know, freeze my eggs this time. Well, not freeze them, cool them. Um, but it actually cooked my whole, you know, collection of eggs the second year. Um, and that's, that's whenever it, you know, the business really hit rock bottom. Um, and it started to get, uh, it, it started to get really bad then. Um, that's whenever, because at the, at the time, um, the ex-wife actually said that, you know, one of the main reasons for the divorce was the animals. And, um, you know, so I already started to uh, resent what I was doing and, you know, two bad seasons in a row, it really, it really knocked the wind out of my sails, um, for the, you know, for the whole thing. And a lot of that passion that I had for, everything just kind of, just kind of went away. And, um, you know, that's whenever, you know, stuff got worse uh, as far as depression goes. And, 
Um, I was, I was definitely fighting that off pretty bad. And, um, and, you know, the finances definitely got really, really tight. Um, ended up having to um, get a, a, an act, a, get a job um, just so I could pay my bills. And, um, you know, then it, uh, then it got a little bit more worse. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and that's kind of where we're at today. Um, and now I'm just, so you certainly kind of pulled back from, from posts and stuff on social media, you know, I'm sure you kind of wanted to concentrate on your family and, and, and your son and, and get, get your personal business, you know, taken care of. But unfortunately you had, you know, all the animals at the same time and just, you know, a lot of people probably don't think of it, but you know, people that follow you or, or, you know, look at your social media and stuff like that. It's, it's really easy to, to post the, the good, you know, the good stuff and the, the, the triumphs and, you know, cool animals that you've produced and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the same, you know, you don't, you don't go on there and just, and post your, all your personal information and, and put out there. So, so that's kind of, uh, probably about the same time that, that you pulled back a lot from, from posting and such, right? Yes, absolutely. And it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was, I was going through a lot of different stuff and, uh, you know, you said it the best. I mean, um, and then anybody that, you know, actually has a, a son or a daughter can definitely relate to this is that like, uh, you know, you want to do the best for them and, um, and it's uh it's it's rough not to be you know part of their life every single day and that that really killed me um you know and definitely you know almost feeling like the the animals are what caused it um made it really rough for me to even you know go to work on the animals um you know i i did it i don't know how um, but there were definitely days where I could only work on the animals for like an hour at a time and I would have to leave the building and go do something else for a little while and then come back and do more. Um, it was, you know, a very trying time, um, where, uh, you know, I just couldn't, um, I, I just couldn't get that love back for it. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of, um, you know, me not, I, I would even say not even loving myself and not loving my situation that I was in. And just, uh, it, it was just definitely all kind of going downhill and, um, you know, just not, uh, I, I just needed to take a step back for a little while. And unfortunately, like I literally just, uh, just dropped everything and just stopped. Um, I moved the animals out of the building that I was renting. Um, I, uh, you know, put them, uh, you know, in my apartment, um, in the garage and, uh, just kind of wanted to, you know, be left alone for a little while almost, um, to kind of try to find myself and, you know, try to figure things out. Um, because, you know, it, it kind of sucks going from, you thought you had everything figured out and then all of a sudden everything's upside down and, um, it'll mess with you like big time. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be the 
the person that I used to be. Like I hated that person. Um, it was a lot of inner demons that like came out for sure. And, uh, you know, I still did the best I could with the animals. Um, uh, just cause I, you know, wasn't posting anything didn't mean that, you know, I neglected them or anything like that. I mean, I, I did end up selling off a lot of them. Um, I think, uh, right now I'm around, you know, 150 animals is basically what I have left. Um, so it's definitely a much smaller collection than what I used to have. Um, and you know, this, this past spring, um, I tried to breed again. Um, they were at my place. Um, I had a much smaller collection. It was much easier to manage. Um, and, uh, had everything all set up to breed them. Um, and, uh, the inner demon started again. And that's, that's whenever it, it definitely hit rock bottom. Um, and it was, uh, I mean, to make a long story short, I, I spent a week in the hospital. Um, and you know, I got myself through it. Um, and now it's the, the recovery and the, uh, the battle back basically. Um, whenever you get that close, uh, to not good things, um, you, you literally have to uh, pick yourself back up and, you know, and struggle and, you know, and, and fight it off. Um, because like I said before, I, I have a son and, uh, I gotta be here for him. Um, and no matter what happens with the animals, uh, you know, my son's always going to come first. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where the, the geckos were such a big part of my life. And I think that they are going to be in the future as well, but, uh, I just needed to take a break from them and, um, you know, figure out who I was and what I want to do with the rest of my life. And, um, that's, uh, probably where the whole photography thing started, um, was that was my, my coping mechanism. Um, it wasn't, uh, I didn't get into, you know, alcohol or drugs or anything like that. It was, um, literally my escape was, you know, playing hockey and taking pictures. So it probably was a little bit hard for people to, you know, see me on Instagram posting, you know, photography pictures, but then really not saying anything or doing anything about the animals. Um, so that's, you know, my explanation for, you know, why there was some stuff going on, but for anything gecko related, it literally fell off the face of the earth. Um, and it's because I, I literally was not in a position to, to cope with things that were going on at the time. Um, and it was, yeah, I, really, uh, I, I really can't imagine, you know, going, th- going through all that and, and having a large collection to, to care for and, and, and at the same time having the allergy. So, you know, when, you know, you have, you know, direct physical health issues related to the collection as well as, you know, going through all the stress of, of having all that going on with your family. You know, I've, uh, probably a lot of people don't know, but I'm divorced also. And, and I went through it, um, you know, when I was young and, and, 
didn't have any children and and it's really hard you know i i felt like i put a lot into it and unfortunately it, it didn't work out and you know the, the way that i put it to people is you know we we had it pretty easy where you know we didn't own a house we didn't have kids and and stuff like that but it's it was still extremely stressful and and hard and uh and i i say that i wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy you know it's it's not it's not fun to to say the least and and uh and then on top of it you have you know you, you went through it with with your son your collection and 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 then also having the the physical you know allergy when you're when you did work with the animals so yeah. i i did yeah, see that, that recently you you posted some uh some cool uh pictures of, of some of your geckos and and you know tell us a little bit, bit about that and and how that feels and and where where are you looking to take it now um it uh it was actually really interesting like uh that's really the first pictures that um i've really taken with my you know with my better camera um of the animals and um you know it was just uh, a night like tonight where you know it was late and you know just wanted to go down and work with the animals a little bit and take pictures of them and um kind of put the two um the, the two things together for once and um it uh it was it was definitely interesting it's uh you know that was the first time in a long time where like you know, I just went down just to, to hang out with the animals. And I used to do that all the time. And, you know, that's that's definitely a good sign that, like, it's, you know, it's it's starting to come back. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, like, it, it, it's like I was saying earlier, like, I, I need to, be, you know, become comfortable with myself again. And, you know, going through... Um, you know, major life changes, it can, it can make you uncomfortable with yourself. Um, you know, especially, uh, you know, like moving to a, you know, a whole new state, like getting moved away from your friends and family, um, on top of everything is, is, is rough as well, because I mean, that's like your whole support system's gone at that point. And then, you know, whenever you get depressed, like you don't, uh, you don't try to reach out to people like you, I definitely, um, you know, was more withdrawn and like kind of went into myself instead of, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, make friends in the area and stuff like that. Like I, I literally just kind of went into myself instead of, and you know, that, that can make it worse as well because, uh, the, the more you do that, the more time you have to think on your own and stuff like that. It just is a snowball that rolls out of control. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's better now and it's, uh, you know, it's definitely getting better and I feel like things are, you know, definitely on the upswing and things will get better. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, I always say like nothing lasts forever, no matter if it's good or bad. And it's a, it's a good, you know, thing to live by is like, no matter how bad it is, it can always, you know, it can always swing in either direction. And, you know, it's, you don't stay down for very long. Like there's always something that will pull you back up as long as you're putting some effort into it. And, 
you know, it's uh, it's definitely nice to to still have, um, you know, the support of you know people that are following me, and um, you know, you definitely see some comments that are, um, you know, not so nice, but at the same time, like uh, it's it's one of those things where most people don't know what happened, and I don't think that they would ever understand or you know would, you know, some of the people that make shitty comments are the ones that, um, uh, that, uh, you know, like if they were in the same situation, like, or I don't think they'd even be able to understand like what it's like, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, um, it's one of those things where you just can't let that, that, let that affect you either. And, um, you know, thank goodness for one of the things that, that Matt and I spoke about recently and that, uh, that I've had on my mind, um, you know, with, with one of the things that I want to address, uh, on the show is, is really, you know, the, the way that, and, and I, I don't post much stuff online, so I'm, I'm definitely more of a, a lurker, but, um, but I've seen recently the, you know, really almost attacks on, on people or the, the less than friendly posts, um, to, to people, um, especially, you know, newcomers to the hobby. And, and it's just a lot of the stuff that I see, it, it just would not happen if, if the two people were face to face, you know, the, the, the typing something into the computer, whether the person typing it means it or not, doesn't always come off, you know, the way they mean, maybe it, it's worse or maybe it's better, but it's not the same as face to face communication. And, uh, again, the, the anonymity um, to be able to post something that's less than favorable is is really easy to do it when you're thousand a thousand miles away or never going to see that person. But if if these people, you know, the, the simple thing of you know something I'm sure others have seen it, you know, a, a leopard gecko form for for newcomers um, or, or more on on social media on Facebook and stuff. Um, you know, a, a newcomer comes and says, oh, look, I, I just bought this leopard gecko at, at a pet store and, you know, I'm looking for information on, on how to take care of it and I found this Facebook page, you know, what, what should I do next? And the first thing people say is, oh, well, you shouldn't have bought it until you researched it first. And I, I don't think there are many people that, that go about it that way. Of course, that's the ideal situation, but you know, I know for myself, I didn't research a leopard gecko before I purchased one. I, I, luckily I bought a book when I bought my first leopard gecko, but I didn't go and research it first. And, uh, I know most people in the hobby today probably didn't do it either. And ideally, yeah, that's the best thing to do, but just, it's not a common thing when, you know, somebody walks into a pet store, maybe thinking they want to get a new pet and they see a, an inexpensive pet that, you know, seems pretty easy to care for. And then their introduction to our community is that Facebook page. Whereas back in the day when Matt and I got into it, maybe it was, you know, more in an exotic pet store and, you know, and then when we researched it, we went to a book rather than a forum because they really weren't prominent back then. But um, but that newcomer's introduction to our community is that Facebook page, 
And rather than being welcomed in and, oh, you came to the right spot, here's a couple links to check out, it's kind of like they're shot down right away. And I'd imagine it's a very negative um, feeling. And and then, you know, or, or maybe they post a picture of how they're keeping it and maybe they are keeping it on sand. And people are like, oh, you can't keep it on sand. You know, what are you doing? And it's just a very negative way to be introduced to our community. And, and that's certainly not what you would do if you were talking to them face-to-face, you know. Uh, at shows, people come up to me and, and say, oh, how do I take care of a leopard gecko? I, I want to buy one or, or I just bought one. Can you help me out? And, you know, I, I don't say oh, no, get out of here. I'm not going to talk to you. You know, I say, oh, well, you know, you should definitely go back to the person you bought it from and learn some more from them. And maybe I'll, I'll write down a couple websites on on the back of my card and hand them to them and say, hey, check out these websites. Um, there's some good information on there. And, you know, I don't I don't push them away at, at the first time they come to me. And I'm sure all these people online that, that write these things, whether they mean to or not, that's the way it comes off is that they're being pushed away. And it's really easy to do that when you're not face-to-face with the person. And, again, whether you mean to or not. And and I, I saw recently, too, Matt, where, where you know, people, you know, aimed some, some hate towards you. And, and I'm sure they would not speak the way that they typed on the page. And, you know, when, when you were going through those ups and downs, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously, you know, you talked about losing animals and stuff, but, you know, your your business kind of took a hit also. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 great that you you were actually just saying that about, uh, you know, how, how people interact with each other these days. And, you know, un- unfortunately, um, I became big because of Facebook. Um and well, well, fortunately and unfortunately, and you know, and obviously, like uh, you know, it was it was a very successful model for me um, right off the bat. But it, like you're saying, it can be also, you know, the worst thing in the world as well because you know you get anybody that thinks they you know know two things about anything, and all of a sudden they're the expert. You know what I mean? It's not even like. Uh, you can check into anybody's credentials on Facebook um, like it used to be on like uh, gecko forums or anything like that by like how many posts they made or go read some of their old posts or whatever. Um, Literally somebody could type something and that could be their millionth post or their first post and you would have no clue at all. And it's, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the scary part of, you know, that sort of um, forum for people to, to type on, is that you have no clue who these people are or, um, and, you know, and, and, and another thing like it, or if that person's even that person, I mean, there's so many ways to make fake Facebook pages that like, you know, these, these people could be, you know, you could be talking to the same, same person, but it's, you know, three different people online. Um, and that's, you know, it, it does kind of suck and it sucks for the hobby and, um, you know, especially for new people that are trying to come in, like if if you don't cultivate new people trying to be in the hobby, like the hobby will die off eventually. 
I mean, that's, that's just all there is to it. And it's, um, I'm, I'm really good friends with Brian Barczyk and we've, we've had a few conversations about this kind of thing where we are the, the only business really in the world that literally sells our inventory to make other businesses successful. And it's, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, like anybody that buys off of another breeder is literally using that animal to breed themselves to possibly make something better than the breeder that they originally bought it off of. And um, that's, interesting in a lot of ways and that shouldn't be a model for a successful business because you're actually fueling your competition and um it's the the hobby is very you know interesting like that where that's that's just common practice and you know unfortunately another common practice is like you're saying like the uh the brashness of people to literally cut down everybody and anything that they seem fit. And there really isn't um, that camaraderie like there was before. Like back whenever I started, like even becoming a little bit larger in breeding leopard geckos, like whenever everybody posted on gecko forums, like there was still that, you, you might not have liked everybody, but there was still that level of respect for people. And, um, you know, that might be a, a product of, you know, how people are being raised today or whatever. But, you know, the lack of respect that people have towards anybody um, anymore is, is really kind of awful. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's me that like, you know, and all the work that I've put in or somebody that's new to the hobby, um, you still should treat people with respect. And, you know, unfortunately with Facebook, there's not a whole lot of that. Um, You know, granted, there are going to be like the people that like, you know, post really, really nice comments uh, about me or other people as well. But there's still that, you know, that 5% of idiots out there that um, are going to post you know, nasty things towards people and cut people down. And, and unfortunately it's like you're saying that that, that 5% of people is the people that are going to turn everybody else off to the hobby. And, you know, and, you know, I, I've definitely made my mistakes and, you know, some of the stuff that was posted recently, I probably in some ways had coming to me because I, you know, unfortunately, I didn't give my customers any sort of warning about what was happening or anything like that. Like, like it just went radio silence. And, you know, I take full responsibility for that in the aspect of, you know, that that wasn't good as part of a, a business model for me um, to just, you know, kind of fall off the face of the earth without telling anybody what was going on. Um, but it, it was that weird aspect of how much of your personal life can you put out there before, you know, it can come back and bite you in the ass as well. So it was, it was definitely a weird situation and, you know, I'm I'm very sorry for my customers that, you know, had some stuff pending with me that, you know, the, that things happened and they took so long to get worked out. Um, And, you know, like it's, it's kind of crazy that, 
you know, you can be doing something for like 10 years and, you know, the minute you, you mess up um, or, you know, something bad happens, I mean, there, there's people out there that are right there to jump all over you. And, you know, and it's like you were saying with, you know, you know, the newcomers posting on Facebook and how I was saying about the respect for, you know, your peers, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you've been doing this for 10 years or sold animals all over the world, um, produce new combinations, or if you're the new person, um, there still should be that level of respect that, you know, you, you share for a person that's just trying to be part of something that's a little bit bigger. You know what I mean? And I think that's where me and you definitely get a little bit more irritated because, you know, we, we have been parts of something much bigger than ourselves. And um, there's no reason why like the community can't be like that. Um, And, you know, definitely with, you know, people trying to shut us down, like, you know, one species at a time, um, that's not the way we should be acting. Um, It's like I said before, and how you said, you know, we've, we've seen stuff on lists, back in the 2000s that we would die to get now, but we can't anymore because of, um, you know, stuff's being made illegal and we, we can't even get it anymore. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how our hobby is going to die, I think, is, you know, there, there's only so much that we can do with just bearded dragons, leopard geckos, and ball pythons. And if that's all it comes down to, like it's going to die. I mean, there, there's no, no doubt about it. Like we got to keep definitely more species diver- you know, um, in, in the hobby. Um, we've got to be able to, um, you know, be able to, to grow. And the way our hobby is going right now, like we're not growing, we're, we're doing the opposite of that. And that's, that's pretty crappy. Well, I hope uh, I hope people, you know, come along and, and find, uh, you know, make their way to places like Gecko Forums because I, I still think it's a great um, resource and there's still great information on there. Um, you know, radio shows, there's, there's a, a ton of great radio shows out there. Uh, you know, uh, my buddy Eric over doing Morelia Python Radio has been doing it for years, and I, I don't know how, Um you know, it's it's you know life can get so busy sometimes, but uh, but Eric's finding a way to just keep plugging out you know new shows and and uh, you know he he got his start listening to Reptile Radio as, as I did and you know found so much inspiration and and just yeah built built our passion about about these animals and and how cool they are and how cool it is to work with them and just want to share that and. And you know, and have it be in a in a positive way. Obviously, you know, when when money gets involved or or other things, and almost like I guess almost like politics now, the way it is on you know with social media and stuff, um, it, it that's certainly not why I got into it. You know, I got into it just because I enjoy the animals. I enjoy working with them, and I enjoy talking about them. And you know, and it's. It's uh it's pretty crazy, Matt. I I didn't realize till you were talking about it earlier, but you know, I lived in Whitestone just a year before you did 
and you know we we just missed each other and you know and and we've we've known each other for for years now and been friendly with each other but even I didn't know you know all the details of all the stuff you were going through you know the last uh several years and I I wish I did know more cuz I definitely would have reached out and and uh tried to tried to intervene a little bit and and help out in any way that I could and you know I I think from you know, seeing kind of what you've been through and, and seeing what you've done, you know, you, you kind of rose to, you know, be one of the most respected breeders and, and you know, hatched out really cool animals and at the same time were able to, to capitalize on, on social media and, and put it out there and it kind of, you know, snowballed into a, a really cool thing for you. And then unfortunately, you know, you, you hit some some roadblocks along the way and and uh, rode rode it all crashing down and just you know I'd, I'd like to see it. It's really cool that you know you're you're on the show. You're you're talking about it. You're sharing it with with everybody and and also that you're you know hopefully finding some rejuvenation and and in, in your passion for, for the animals and and you know on on your way to to building it back up to, to where you'd like it to be. And, you know, I, I certainly think, you know, family comes first, you know, as, as everybody knows, you know, I haven't been pumping out radio shows, you know, I have a family and, and, a, you know, full-time job and, and then some, and, and I have to take care of that first, but, you know, when I get a chance, I, I'd like to put out some radio shows and, and share this stuff with everybody because, I think there's something for everyone to learn. Um, you know, so so what what else, you know, did what else, you know, did you go through or, or what's been on your mind with with all this stuff that, that you've been through, you know, where where's where's your next step, Matt? Um well actually after uh you know, after we talked a couple weeks ago about doing this show in the first place um, I, I definitely think you should uh, share with everybody the, the idea that you had about, uh, you know, educating people about the, the past of leopard geckos and um, kind of maybe doing some shows about that. Um, do you want to tell these guys kind of what you were, were thinking about that and what you told me? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm definitely uh, going to have Matt back soon and uh... – want to want to get some some of the background on um you know some of the the morphs that he's produced kind of like he did tonight you know he, he talked about some some of the stuff that he produced but you know more um more of the the background story so i just find them so interesting i think it's it's really cool um and some some of the stories on on some of the morphs or, or some species and the way they were brought into the hobby or the way they popped out somewhere or the way they were developed and selectively bred for, um, you can't find it. You know, maybe if you really dig deep into uh, gecko forums, you might be able to find some stuff in there and, and on some of the other forum sites. But really, you know, a lot of this stuff is just in, is with the breeder and the story of that animal or of that group of animals. And um, so, you know, in the, in the near future, I'd like to have Matt back on and, and talk about, you know, the, the G project and the clown stuff and, you know, how he developed it, where it started out, 
you know, basically just like he did with the Marble Eye tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come back on and share as much information as I can um, with everybody. And I think, uh, you know, I think that's uh, definitely be therapeutic for me and getting back into this a little bit more. And, um, you know, it's uh, like you were asking about, like, what what I kind of want to do going forward. And, um, you know, that's one of those things where I'm going to have to kind of do it as I go. Um, but I definitely think the ideas uh, that you have about telling the history of, behind some of these morphs and mutations um, would definitely be very, very interesting um, to, to some of the listeners out there because, you know, like whenever, whenever we started, like uh, it, was, it was basically the infancy of albino and, uh, you know, blizzard. Um, there really wasn't anything else. And the cool part about, you know, the time frame whenever I got into this hobby was I got to see firsthand and work with some of the mutations as they came out. And um, I, I think you also have some cool stories, Tim, about uh, working at one of the largest, uh, you know, breeders in the world as well, so that uh, you could maybe inform us about how how things happened there and, you know, some cool things that have happened in your career um, as well that, uh you've been breeding for longer than I have, actually. So um, I think it would be kind of cool to hear some of your experiences as well. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, promised Dave quite a while ago that I'd, that I'd kind of do a show about myself, but I still, uh, I still haven't, haven't gotten around to it. But, but yeah, definitely um, in the future I want to, you know, kind of keep, keep this history alive, you know, before – you know, before, you know, breeders are, are long forgotten, you know, um, I've, I've, I've talked to, uh, Ron about having Ron back on the show and, and, uh, you know, do, do the same with him. And he just, you know, I heard it brought up about another, uh, breeder that's been around, uh, for about as long as Ron's been on that, you know, they, they've probably forgotten more than we'll ever know about, about these animals. And, I, I think it's definitely true, you know, that, and, and anybody that, that comes in and, and does it for a couple of years and, and thinks they're an expert, that's exactly the person you should not be listening to. But, um, yeah, exactly. but yeah, just to, to get breeders like Ron on and, and just, you know, get, get this, get these stories, you know, in a place. And, and I just really, you know, find it cool to listen in to these shows, you know, while I'm driving because I end up, you know, driving to and from work a lot and, uh, and just fascinated. And even, you know, even at shows, like I said, Matt, we've, we've been friendly with each other for a long time, but not really great friends. And, you know, we see each other at, at White Plains and, you know, you're behind the table and you're busy. And, you know, I, I grab your ear and I start talking to you for a little while, but there's only so much, you know, there's only so much time I could talk to you. And then I feel like I'm taking business away from you when, you know, somebody's trying to ask you a question about some of the geckos on your table. And, uh, and you know, so I, I kind of step away. And, and you know, so I find the, the radio show is, is the perfect format to, uh, to get this stuff out there. And then, you know, almost like a, I guess maybe it'll almost be like a diary for me because I certainly don't have time to uh, to post a lot of stuff online as it is now. But... Um, you know, but 
I kind of am looking at it just as I want to do this for myself and this is what I like to hear. So that's what I'm going to try to put out there. And, um, Matt, before, uh, before we sign off, is there, is there anything else you want to say to kind of, you know, about your business and, and about, you know, to some of your customers to that, you know, maybe, you know, we're, we're turned off not seeing you around or, or for whatever reason, so negative posts, you know, and any, any other things you'd, you'd like to say to, to them? So that I think, I think you certainly, you know, have been through a lot. Uh, you know, people go through stuff. It, that's life. You know, but um, but I think people certainly deserve to be forgiven too. Like you, you built a great reputation, and unfortunately, you know, you you got knocked down a little bit too. But I think people deserve forgiveness and and deserve uh, you know, a, a second chance. And, and and um, you know, is there anything you'd like to say to to you know your your customers or followers or or anything like that? Um, well, first off, uh, you know, definitely that I'm sorry, um, that, uh, you know, life kind of, kind of happened and, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I didn't really see it coming and, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to handle it. Like, and, you know, you see some people that handle it in the complete opposite way where, you know, they literally have a public meltdown and, you know, and really destroy their name. Um, and for me, it was definitely the opposite where, um, I literally just went, uh, the other direction and just kind of like, just kind of got myself away from everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely sorry for that. And, um, you know, I'm trying to rectify all the situations that, uh, you know, I still have outstanding, um, and, you know, hopefully I can get everybody taken care of and, you know, everybody happy again and, you know, start producing some animals again. Um, you know, right now, like I said, the collection's really small. Um, and, you know, it's very select projects that I still have. Um, and I've got like a, you know, a few babies this year. Like this is probably the, the least amount of babies that I've ever produced since I've actually been breeding on this scale. I, I think I only, I, I might have like 20 or 30 babies this year and that's it. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that hopefully like I can continue this upswing and, um, you know, get back into my animals more and, uh, you know, start producing again and start, uh, start being able to show people, uh, some cool looking leopard geckos. And, and take some cool pictures of them too, right? Yeah, hopefully I can melt the other hobby into uh, you know into it as well, and uh, um, you know also uh, hopefully I can take some pictures of other things as well. Maybe go to other people's collections and you know really get some nice shots of of different things for people. Um, you know that's been kind of my thing is to you know since I'm living in like southwestern Connecticut down here, kind of by New York. Um, you know, just going to the zoos and aquariums and taking pictures of stuff, uh, you know, just to, you know, kind of have pretty pictures. Um, and, you know, hopefully I can, uh, you know, start taking more pictures of reptiles and, you know, stuff that people want to, want to see. And, and so basically, Matt, we, you know, we didn't really, uh, talk about it directly, but, um, 
you know, what, what I what I spoke about before, um, seeing seeing people kind of knocking you online, um, you know, there there were some some people that that you still owe animals to, and and um, you know, some some customers in the past that you know you need to um, you know get get straightened out, and you've been in contact with them, and um, and just really like it, it it's gotten to the point where where people that weren't involved in the situation and and don't know all the information, but they're these second, third, and fourth party people that are just kind of smearing your name out there is is what we you know like to to get rid of. You know, um, I, I spoke to Matt you know before the show and, and basically just wanted to to make sure that you know there's the, those few people you know that are out there. Are, are not the ones out, you know, slandering you or, or, you know, or posting stuff, but it's people that aren't even involved that for really no reason are, are getting involved and, and, you know, saying things that are, are unnecessary. Correct. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's like I said before, like it's, it's just one of those things that happens that uh, kind of comes along with the territory, unfortunately. And, um, you know, you got to be able to not listen to it one and kind of, uh, um, kind of block it out and just uh, control the things that you can. And that's, and the control that I have is with, with my customers. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, my hardest to make everything right with them. And, um, uh, you know, I, I hope to make them all happy and get them all taken care of and, you know, move on from the situation. And, uh, you know, there, there's always going to be, be the people that, uh, you know, that they're going to say things and you just kind of have to not listen to them if you will. And it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, like I said, it, it, it sucks about what happened, um, you know, where I kind of just fell off the face of the earth and, um, it kind of sucks that that can, you know, almost erase or put a huge damper on the amount of animals that I have, you know, successfully delivered to people all around the world. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, it's it's pretty crazy that you know you can sell thousands of animals to all over the place and then you know it's uh you know a small percentage at the end that uh um you know we had some had some trouble with and uh that's what I'm being judged on right now and the only thing that I can do is you know rectify those situations and move on from them and uh you know, start producing animals again and selling them and shipping them like, uh, like I was doing and, you know, hopefully, you know, regain the trust of, uh, you know, the population to, uh, you know, have them continue to purchase animals off of me. Matt, am I going to see you uh, Sunday at White Plains? Uh, I'm going to hopefully come for the morning. Um, I'm actually going to bring my son, um, he has a birthday party later in the afternoon. Um, so I will not be vending. Um, so that'll be like my, it's like my third show in a row that I've actually not vended. Um, just while everything's been kind of upside down. 
Um, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully soon I'll, you know, start vending again and get everything back to the way it used to be. But uh, not, not this show because of, uh, you know, family, family comes first. So um, I'm probably going to stop in the morning and, you know, bring my son to see some of the reptiles, but uh, I won't be there all day. Well, I might, I might miss you then. Cause I'm going to miss, I'm not going to be there in the morning, but I'll be there later in the afternoon. So I might, I might okay. miss you, but uh, why don't you uh, just the last uh, few minutes here, why don't you talk about uh, your job and, and what you're doing? All right. Um, well, like I said earlier, I did get a, a job. Uh, I work at the local aquarium. Um, it's called the Maritime Aquarium in Norwalk. Um, it is uh, definitely pretty interesting because, uh, you know, I don't actually work with the reptiles or amphibians very much, um, but uh, I do work with a lot of the fish. Um, I One of my favorite things that I get to do is actually feed a you know, it's probably a three and a half foot barracuda that has to be fed by hand. And it is definitely a, uh, a hair raising event. Let's put it that way. Um, literally you got to like swish the fish back and forth and this thing comes out of nowhere, like a freaking torpedo and grabs it out of your hand. And, um, if you drop it too early, he swims away and doesn't want it. And, um, you just kind of, have to hope that he doesn't get your fingers. Um, but uh, he is a super intelligent animal, um, and he knows the difference between capelin herring and fatty herring, and whichever one he wants that day, he'll he'll have it. But if you try to feed him something that he doesn't want, he's not going to take it. And um, it's, uh, it's definitely a pretty cool experience to be able to feed him. Um, we also have uh, a couple sea turtles there as well um, that I get to interact with, um, and it's a it's a small aquarium, but it's a very nice aquarium, and um, that's kind of what I've been doing for the past year is uh, being more involved in uh, you know an AZA facility um, and getting more experience with uh, dealing with some other animals. And um, and talk a little bit about what you were doing in the Bronx Zoo. You were doing that previous to the aquarium, correct? Yeah, I worked at uh, the uh, Children's Zoo for a little while. Um, they had some cool animals there that I got to interact with. And then um, while I was still had my collection, my larger collection, and doing that full time, um, I was also uh, uh, volunteering at the Reptile House in the Bronx Zoo, and that was definitely a really cool experience. Um, They have, I believe, eight of the ten most endangered turtle species in the world. Um, So that's pretty cool to be able to see some of these turtles that are very few of them left in the world Um, and to be able to interact with those a little bit. And, um, you know, it's a very, very cool experience. Awesome, awesome. So it's cool. Is this uh, is this actually going to be the first time you're you're bringing your son to White Plains? Um, he's he's been there. Um, you know, whenever uh, me and my ex-wife were still like married, um, he would come like you know around lunchtime just to stop by for like fifteen minutes or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, this will be really one of the one of the first shows that I got to take him to um, without me vending and all that stuff. So it'll be it'll be a pretty cool experience. And then uh, we get to go to his birthday party, and it's a it's in a place that has like a bunch of bounce houses. So I'll get to uh, jump around in a bounce house for a little bit later on that day. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, well, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you, you know, sharing, um, you know, some of your ups and downs and, uh, and we hope to see you soon back out there, uh, showing off some cool animals and, and doing your YouTube videos again. I don't know if you're planning on doing that, but, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you very much, Tim. And, uh, do you want to just, uh, give out any contact information too while we're at it. Uh, no, I think I'll post all this, or I'll I'll post the uh, link to this uh, on my uh, Facebook page. Uh, the Facebook page is just uh, uh, just look up Sassobeck Reptiles. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, <laughs> isn't that kind of awful that I don't even know like what it uh, <laughs> what the actual like website part is. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at uh, Sassobeck as well. Uh, I think it's Sassobeck11 on Instagram. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, I'm, I'm sure some people can find me. I think the uh, YouTube is Sassobeck Reptiles as well. Well, thanks again for coming on, Matt. Thanks for, uh, for being so open with us. And uh, I hope to, as we, as we talked about, we'll have you back soon and we'll talk about some uh, some cool morphs and and how you developed them and and all the work you've done with them and and stuff like that. All right, awesome, and uh, thank you very much again for having me and giving me this opportunity to uh, um, you know speak a little bit about what uh, what's happened and um, you know definitely let's uh, let's do some more shows together and uh, hopefully we can educate the people on some of the. Uh, different mutations and where they came from and a little bit of history on them. Cool, Matt. Thanks. Thanks again. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. You too. Talk to you later.